Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 through 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Matthew chapter 22, verse 35 through 40. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with his question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love your Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 through and chapter 15 verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that all you will receive, you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Thank you, Jack. Those, as you might have guessed, those are some of the key scriptures from our Faith and Work series this year. And we'll be alluding to those and referring to those in this message. Let's pray. Father, help us to uh, tie things together. Help us to see um, what you want, what you designed for our work. Help us to be encouraged in our work. Help us to see how our faith and our work belong together. In Jesus' name, amen. On July 25th, 2009, um, Meg and I stood in a church in Watertown, New York, with all of our family and closest friends looking at us, and we made vows together. We held hands, we said, I do, and then the minister spoke those words that officially tied the knot. He said, therefore, I declare that you are now husband and wife. What God has joined together, let no one put asunder, which is the old-fashioned way of saying, let no one separate if there's one big idea that I want you to take away from this whole year about faith and work, is this. Work and faith should be married. God has joined them together. Our worship and our work are meant to live in harmony. Work can be worship, and our worship should fuel our work. If those things begin to drift apart, or separate, um, there's a problem. So this morning, what I want to do is pull out some of the key concepts and high points that we hit in this year, both from what I preached and from what you shared in your faith and work testimonies, in order to encourage you one last time to keep your faith and your work in a marriage, to keep them together. And in particular, I, I want to boil it down to three words, which are vocation, love, and hope. Three words that 
inform our work. Vocation, love, and hope. So, first, vocation. Vocation simply means calling. Every one of you has a calling. Not just pastors, not just missionaries. We all have a God-given vocation, which includes the work we do from Monday through Friday, whatever that is. That's part of our vocation. We talked this year about discerning our vocation. And there's this first kind of an outer layer of our gifts, our skills, our gifts. What has God gifted you at? Katie Ballard always loved animals. And so God led her into the field of animal science, veterinary science, and and agriculture research. Alexis knew from the time she was six, I want to be a teacher. God had gifted her with that desire and with the skills for that. Amy DeBona followed her love of science into uh, medical research and now into quality control. It's often other people who point out your gifts when you don't know them yourself. So young people here, pay attention to what others notice about you and affirm in you and call out of you. I think Viola has a future in public speaking. (laughs) So that's the outer layer of your vocation is what you're gifted at. Then there's a middle layer, which is your life situation. Like, where am I in life? Um, Marriage is part of a vocation, as is singleness. Those are callings from God. Those affect your, your situation in life. But often our work is related to the life situation we're in. So Lorinda shared about how uh, she was looking for something she could do as a young mom. And so she went to the school and ended up subbing and volunteering at the school and then to the library. And that opened a series of doors for her to serve different people in her work. Brian Kinsman talked about discovering a new vocation in retirement. So after... um, Uh, After Global Foundries, he looked around and said, what's going on in life right now? Where can I serve? And he saw grandkids that needed taking care of. He saw a church here that needed help and a church in Florida where he goes in the winter. And that became part of his new vocation, all those things. And by the way, all of our callings, all of our vocations involve the church. No matter what you do for a job, you're called to use your gifts in the body of Christ. That is an essential part of your vocation as a human being, as a Christian. So your gifts, your life situation, and then the core. I hope this is ringing some bells. The core of your vocation is who. Who are you called to? And the main answer to that question is Jesus. You're called to belong to Jesus and to follow him. And the the really amazing thing about that is that at the core of your calling is not a task. It's not a job description. It's not a skill you have. It's a relationship with the one who loves you most. 
And that will never change no matter what job you have or what your life situation is or what skills you gain or lose. That is stable. Your calling is to know Christ and to follow him. Carrie Jenkins shared very helpfully that, um, you know, she's had a, uh, a series of disappointments in her career in some ways, even as God has used her gifts to serve others. And on some days when work is hard, she says to herself, my identity is in Christ. My job is not who I am. There's more to me than that. That is the core of our vocation. So vocation, your calling. And the second thing is love. Love. Your work, your vocation is the one of the is one of the main ways you love other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. As Christians, all of us are in the service industry. The way God measures careers and jobs is not by skilled versus unskilled or high pay versus low pay or high education, low education, but helpful or unhelpful. That's what God values is helpfulness. If you can help someone in your job or in your daily vocation, that is a victory. That's the goal is to love our neighbor as ourself. And the, the cool thing about work <clears throat> is that it enables us to specialize in loving people in very particular ways. Sarah Williams talked about how she loves Microsoft Excel. That is one of her specialties. And thank God that there are people like Sarah who specialize in that because that is certainly not my specialty. But she's able to serve people and meet real needs with that skill. Uh, my wife Meg talked about how she studied counseling and now is able to specialize in helping people who are struggling with their emotions or with situations in life. Carolyn Brandingen shared about running for state office and learning how to represent our county or our town. That is a needed work that not everyone can do. Colin Digby is pursuing a career in law enforcement. We, we need people like him. Um, Mike Gravett shared about his journey becoming a, a physician and how he can specialize in helping people be healthy. All of those things and all of what you do are expressions of God's care for the world and how you are loving your neighbor as yourself through your work. And I asked you this question a while ago. I said, what would happen if you did not do your job well? That reveals the way you are loving people through your work, whether it's paid, unpaid, volunteer, whatever. <clears throat> Another way to love people at work is to love your coworkers, the people around you, uh, or your boss, or your... Or your um, uh, the people who report to you, whatever. Love the people in your work environment. Uh, Kara Bior spoke about her work as a physical therapist and some of the neat interactions that can happen when these people come to her for problems in their bodies, they end up talking about problems in their souls and in their lives and their families and she's able to give them 
some compassion and some um, counsel and even point them to Christ. It's an act of love. And all of you have ways that you have people in your lives that only you can love. I can't be there in your, in your office or in your job site to love them, but you can. It's about love. And third, a way to love people through work is providing for your family. That is, that is a noble aim of work. Providing for your family. Helping your kids to grow up healthy and strong. Making sure you have a roof over your head and a plan for retirement. All these are important ways of loving people. Now, the modern world tends to view work and a career as a way of self-fulfillment. You know, like, what would make me the most happy and fulfilled and successful and maybe even wealthy? Um, And that is not the way we should see work as Christians. Work is a way to serve others, not fulfill yourself. And by the way, you find joy and satisfaction in serving others not in aiming for personal fulfillment. But when you, when, the world, when you do that, when you aim for fulfillment, you either become very depressed because your jobs just aren't fulfilling you, or you become, begin to worship your job because that's the only thing that can fulfill you. And it becomes an idol. But God sets us free from those things by seeing work as a way to love other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then third is hope. Because we all know that work can be hard. Work can be discouraging. Work can be disappointing. Work can be just eviscerating. And we need hope for our work. We need hope that it makes a difference. We need hope that that, that uh, when we leave, there's something left. We need hope that, that we can get through the hard stuff and the hard schedules and the toxic work environments and the things that make work so hard. We talked this year about the, the grand narrative in Scripture, and the story of work is this, that work is good, God created us to work. It's not an evil thing. It's not a product of the fall of sin. And yet, after Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the ground and said to Adam, you know, no longer will the ground just produce food for you by itself, but with painful toil you will um, produce food. And by the sweat of your brow you will eat your bread, and then you will return to dust. And so there's this specter of death and of sin that looms over all of our work. It affects um, our bodies. It affects our workplaces. It affects a culture. And it can make work really hard. Um, Many of us shared about the struggles we have at work. Mike Lachance spoke about his job as a firefighter, which has brought him face-to-face with some of the worst situations imaginable. Suicide, overdoses, people in despair, tragic deaths. Some of you shared about toxic work environments 
or layoffs or financial stress or boredom because you're doing something that doesn't seem, you don't feel like it matters. Roy Rabideau talked about watching his first construction company crumble through an unjust lawsuit and how devastating that was for him. Don Wells shared about how on several occasions he had to choose between doing the wrong thing and keeping his job or doing the right thing and maybe losing his job and by God's grace he chose the right thing but he paid for it. So in all of those hard situations where do we find hope for our work? We find it in Jesus. We find it in him. Because God helps Mike get through those hard days. God helped Roy rebuild his company on an even stronger foundation. God gives you patience for your annoying coworkers and difficult situations. Jesus gives you hope. He gives you a reason that it, to work that is bigger than the work itself. So although everything you do may crumble, you know, the money you make may be lost, everything you invest in may not come to fruition, but here's the game changer. If you are doing your work for Jesus instead of just for yourself or just for other people, you connect your work to an eternal power, to an eternal story of hope. That's what makes the difference. Every, and so we heard the scripture, um, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if unto the Lord. And we heard, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Guys, it, it's not that our work... It's not that we need to just inject um, spirituality into our work, but when you are a believer in Jesus, all of your work is done for a new reason and for a new master, for Jesus. And so uh, that changes everything. Jesus gives us rest when our identity is in him, when we're connected to him, we remember that we are not human doings, but human beings that are loved by God. And so we follow in the pattern of Sabbath, which is letting go of work and ceasing from work to let God be God and to stop striving after things that can be lost. Bill Butler shared about how he and Helen owned an appliance store in Essex Junction. And at a certain point, culture was shifting so that businesses had to stay open on Sundays to be competitive with the other stores. And that's when they said, it's time to sell. Because we can't work seven days a week. We can't survive that. And thank God you didn't try to do that and kill yourselves or lose your faith in the process or your marriage or your family. They're still here because they followed the Lord. Jesus changes our work. He redeems our work. I don't know how it all works out, but when you follow Jesus, your everyday labor is eternally significant. 
whether that is um, teaching a lesson or making a phone call or going through a meeting or doing a load of laundry or caring for a patient or plowing a field or pounding a nail, all of it done for Jesus counts eternally. So may we be people who never split apart our work from our faith, who find joy in what we do because we're serving Christ. We find encouragement and hope and we can work to love others. There's so much more that I wish we could have said about work this year, like um, how do we think about economics and justice and bigger issues, not just individual issues. But I'm not the greatest planner or administrator, as I just said, and so we didn't cover some of these things. I'm trusting that God will lead you into wisdom and fruitfulness in your work and that Jesus will give you hope and encouragement in what you do. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for the work you've given our hands to do, for the callings, the vocations that you have given us. Help us to see why our work matters to you. Show us the dignity, value, and importance our work has. Grant us your spirit to be able to work with skill, perseverance, and joy. Let us keep serving others as our main focus and loving others. We pray for those who are seeking work or seeking more meaningful work. Lead them into the vocation that suits their gifts and abilities. We pray for young people, that same thing. And we pray for those working in challenging or toxic environments. Give them grace to endure, wisdom if they need to make a change, uh, or power to change the culture they're in. We pray for those who are retired, that you would lead them into meaningful work if that's what they're seeking. Show them the calling that you have on their lives right now. We pray for business owners, managers, and people of influence in their workplaces. Give them wisdom to lead. Help them to cast their burdens on you and work through them to create healthy workplaces. And Lord, we pray for our workplaces and coworkers that you would transform them by the power of the gospel. Help us to be salt and light as we go about our daily work. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.